0: Hey smart mamas, welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits.
1: Relationships, finance, mental
0: health. And we aren't sugarcoating anything.
2: No way, no
0: way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you, the good, the bad, and the ugly.
3: (laughs) So, Smart Mamas, we are coming to you again today. We have... A very special guest. We've had a few of them lined up, and today we've got Dr. Jones, Angela Jones, and she has been an anesthesiologist for over 25 years. She is also a smart mama. She's got three kids of her own, and she has recently, within the past few years, gotten into the ketamine side of things, and we're going to let her talk to you all about that because I know we have a lot of interest in our career field about that. So welcome, Dr. Jones. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. We're super interested. We have a ton of questions, and I'm sure you came prepared. We're going to make this light and fun and easy and kind of open-ended, so feel free to take this wherever you want to. Okay. We're going to kind of let you take the floor and talk to us about how you got involved in ketamine clinics.
2: Okay, well, in my present job, I am the director of anesthesia at a busy uh, endoscopy center, and on well, a fair amount of times, we add uh, ketamine to our anesthetics for different reasons. Usually, it's because someone's extremely overweight, or uh, they have PTSD and they wake up real combative and what have you. And um, we know that ahead of time, or just for different other other reasons too, their airway <laughs> may be suspect. So we may add ketamine to their anesthetic. And what I found is on the post call interviews the patients that we did use ketamine on would say um the next day that they were feeling great um they weren't feeling as down they were wondering you know what did they give us that was what what did we give them that was different and i said you know there must be something to this especially in some of the vietnam vets that had PTSD symptoms. A lot of them said they didn't have night terrors that night or of uh, any of those type of things. So I started looking into it and I found that ketamine did help PTSD and treatment resistant depression. And I said, well, this is something that I could do because I know how to do it and we could help people. And um, I could get out of the busy endoscopy center <laughs> for a few days a week and, and just try something you know, new, and and that's basically how I started.
1: So can you tell us what your ketamine clinic setup looks like? How many rooms do you have? How many patients you typically see in a day? That kind of thing.
2: Okay. Well, it is in a uh, professional park where they have, we have, there's a physical therapy center next door. There's doctor's offices in the place. They're just small Little buildings with different offices. You've seen those places before. Basically, we have three procedure rooms and a front desk, and we have a nice waiting room, cushiony chairs, TV, you know, <laughs> coffee, all that kind of stuff. So it's very nice. It's not cold and dank and in the basement or in backwoods. It's nothing like that
0: at all. <laughs> like our house. Well, that's Hospitals a relief. To look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how do you acquire patients? Is it through referral or how does that work?
2: It. It's almost 50-50. In the beginning, most of our patients were through Google search, online web searches. I did a little campaign where I reached out to every single psychiatrist and psychologist in the immediate area and sent them information about our center. And so now we maybe get about 40%, 30 to 40% of um, patient referrals from them. And those are usually, they're harder to treat patients, obviously. And we treat patients that come from Atlantic City, from Delaware, from Philly, from shore points, from North Jersey.
1: So you have a a wide radius that you pull from. Are, Are you the only ketamine clinic in the area? And how many patients do you see in a day?
2: Well, it varies. We're actually slow right now. I am because a lot of our traffic comes from just web searches. So our name isn't out there. There are some bigger companies that are out there. There's there's some in, there's some one in Cherry Hill, one in Princeton. I think there's one. They're popping up all over. There, there may be one in Mount Laurel. And a lot of pain doctors are starting to do ketamine therapy for treatment-resistant depression in addition, in addition to chronic pain.
1: How many people you see in a day? Like... How long does it take to treat a patient?
2: Okay. Uh, An infusion lasts about 45 minutes, and then you recover for 30. So I tell patients to plan to be there for about an hour and a half. The treatment itself is non-threatening. It's nice. You're in a reclining chair. Patients can bring their own blankets. They can bring eye mask. They can bring headphones and music and play what they like. I have eye mask and blankets and all those things, too, if, if they don't have them. I have one of those little machines in each room that plays like the ocean sounds or rain. And, you know, if they don't want music, typically the infusion, they get an IV. The infusion lasts about forty-five minutes, and then they recover for about thirty minutes. And then I give them juice and crackers after, which is.
3: Are they able to drive afterwards, or like what? What is it like when they are receiving the tr- infusion? Like what mental state are they in? Because I know it's a low dose. It is but... a low dose.
0: What is what is the dose?
2: When I first looked at the research from the NIH and um, at Yale, the uh, dose was 0.5 milligrams per kilo to start, and you typically go up from that. Although, you know, I do use uh, my experience, if I have a patient that's on five uh, antidepressants and a lot of other medications, I may typically start at a higher dose because I know, you know, they'll probably need a little bit higher dose. But typically when they're in the room and getting the infusion, I don't usually stay in there and hover over them unless they want me to kind of stay in there. They have um, a blood pressure cuff, they have a pulse oximeter, and initially they'll have um, an EKG machine just so I can monitor everything. Uh, But they keep the pulse ox and blood pressure cuff throughout. They're relaxed. They usually do not fall asleep. Um, You can talk to them. Uh, Because it's not an anesthetic dose of ketamine. Now, ketamine is an old drug. It's been around for 50, 55 years. Um, It's a very safe drug. We use it. We've used it in anesthesia, you know, since the the, um, 40s and 50s. And I've used it throughout residency and so forth. But during the infusion, we titrate it in slowly. And most patients, they all have different experiences. And even each infusion is different. But what they tell me mostly is that they feel like they come out of their body to a certain sense, but they know they're still in the room. And they say they can often see their thoughts. They can see little vignettes of issues that they're having. They can see ways to fix the issues. And a lot of times they will solve problems um, during the infusion or figure out that that issue is not really a big issue. And they're able to, like, get over that and and go to the next thing. Some patients say they see their thoughts. Some say, like, if if they're facing, I have artwork in the rooms, um, they'll see the picture. I kind of, like, glide to the floor. When I walk by to take their vitals, they may see, like, a trail of me, like a cartoon. They may even see just colors, different colors, usually, you know, Uh, reds and purples and greens, sometimes they only see black and white. It just depends. I even have patients, several different patients, say that it's kind of a spiritual-like experience where they realize that as human beings, we're all connected and a lot of our thoughts are connected and we're a lot alike in similar ways.
1: I'm glad you touched on some of the uh, history of ketamine. Because a lot of our listeners haven't, uh, may not be familiar with it. As anesthesia providers, we're familiar with how it works and understand that one of the main side effects is hallucinations, which is why it kind of went out of favor for various points in time in anesthesia. And now it's coming back as we have more and different drugs to kind of counteract those side effects. But can can you kind of go into a little bit about just like ketamine specifically, just for our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with ketamine as an anesthetic drug and how,
3: how it was found to be uh, useful for this population too.
2: Well, ketamine is an old drug. It has all different kind of receptor sites that it, it acts on, but it allows you to dissociate the brain, so to speak, so that you, you, know, you don't feel pain, but you're still Basically conscious at the lower to mid doses, and then you can use other anesthetics in lower doses to keep a patient pain-free during their procedures. And it's very stable, so they use it like in Desert Storm, or you know, in all these places where um, you can't refrigerate things like propofol is hard to keep um, in places like that where it's really hot. Now, for ketamine therapy for depression, depression, what it does there, it When you're chronically depressed, those neurons that affect your affect, how you feel, um, your mood, those neurons in your brain become shriveled up, they are dried up, they um, don't communicate well, they thin out. And what ketamine does, it binds to the NMDA receptors in those neurons and it blocks them and it causes an increase of what's called brain natriuretic factor, which is not that important, but it's like a kind of compost for the brain for the neurons and they actually start to grow. They did studies in rats and they found that after um, one ketamine treatment, the nerves started to actually grow. So those nerves that are affected by chronic depression, where they're all thinned out, actually start to grow and then ultimately you feel better. One drawback to ketamine is that it doesn't work in everybody for depression. However, 70 to 80% of patients will get some relief from their depression. It may not be 80% relief or 75%, it may just be 50%, but it it does help in about 70 to 80%, which is very, very good for um, an antidepressant. And it's it's one of the most challenging things for me in my practice with ketamine is when I can't help a patient with the ketamine where it doesn't work. And that's very frustrating.
1: So one of the main treatments of chronic non-responsive to medicines depression is ECT. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with that, that's the electroshock therapy. Um, And that's very, very old treatment that's just kind of carried forward. And that's for refractory cases. How does this compare? Is this a replacement for that? Is this going to become a replacement for that? Well,
2: it has been used a lot more instead of that. I mean, the side effects to the electric shock therapy are, are pretty obvious. I mean, you have to get, you're inducing a seizure into a patient. And the side effects, the biggest one is memory loss. And I've had several patients that have had that, that have come for the ketamine after, and a great majority of them have memory loss. With the ketamine therapy, they don't have that. It's just an IV. You kind of relax. You know, it's an experience. I I definitely, if, if that were me, I'd pick that over ECT. Now, ECT is still the gold standard because ketamine for treatment-resistant depression, IV ketamine, for treatment-resistant depression is not FDA-approved. Per the textbooks, ECT is is the gold standard.
3: Didn't something just come out about like an intranasal ketamine or something? Did I hear about that?
2: Yep, um, there is intranasal ketamine. The, The thing with that is this, the drug companies don't want to put the money into research for IV ketamine for depression because it's a generic drug. So they're not going to make any money off of it. Okay. So they won't do the studies. So what they did was, um, ketamine is, is basically an enantiomer of the R and the S ketamine. And they're kind of like mirror images of each other. And what they did was they extracted the S ketamine out in, in a very expensive type, uh, (laughs) production. And so it's, it's S ketamine. And they've made it into a nasal form, so it's quote-unquote different, and then they can market it mm. at an extremely high price, but they've done the research for that. And so that is actually FDA approved. Ugh. But the nasal That'll ketamine, like if, like say you went for nasal ketamine, Ellen, with your cold. Oh, how much ketamine are you going to get through those clogged nasal passages? You know what I'm saying? Zero right it's, it's just not as effective. IV ketamine goes right in the IV into the brain. So it's definitely the, the better one. They do have oral ketamine. I don't know much about that either. But obviously, it's got to go through first pass through the digestive tract and all that stuff. So
0: how often do people receive their treatments?
2: Well, from the studies, I modeled my practice after the original studies, and they surmised that they got the best results when they did a series of six treatments. Um, now, these patients were very, very depressed. They were almost catatonic some of the times, and they were inpatient. So, it's, it's easy to bring a patient down two to three times a week for six treatments um, when they're inpatient. That's not the real world. So to try to get someone to take off work twice a week, well, if they're even working, but they still have to have a ride. So the ride has to be a So what I found in my practice, I've had patients come and have the treatment two days a week for six treatments. So for three weeks, or I've had them come once a week for six weeks and I've had great results both ways. So you do the series of six and then after that, everybody's different. Some people, Don't need any more ketamine. Their neurons are functioning. They're able to go back to work or back to school. But some people at some point um, find they get back down. And you and I, we, we get depressed, but we don't stay in it. You know, and for most people, you know, that's how it is. But when they start getting back down low or heavy, as they call it, or dark, and they don't come out for a day or two or three, then they know they probably need to come back and get a booster. And then I usually give them whatever their last dose was for a booster treatment. And then that usually does the trick. And typically it just varies. Um, I have patients that get boosters every two to three months. Some get it every four months. Some get it every six months, once a year. It just varies.
3: So it's not completely permanent, but it does do a lot more than just having to take medications daily or do they still stay on medicine
2: what i do i have them stay on their medicine and typically what happens is over time they're able to actually you know dial down their medication dosages which is nice especially you know i have a lot of young girls that come in and a lot of those medications have side effects and this is definitely a great alternative and um they're able to cut down, cut back on the other medications. But I, I do have them, I don't stop anything, you know. So what type of
1: patients are you seeing? I know we talked about uh, depression. What about like chronic pain, postpartum depression, other things like that? Well,
2: chronic pain, I don't, I don't treat. I'm not a pain doctor, not chronic pain doctor, obviously acute pain in anesthesia. But Chronic pain, they use double, they use triple and quadruple the dosages that we use for depression. And they typically Uh have to give those infusions over four hours, six hours, eight hours. And I don't do that. I'm not trained in that. I see patients that have anxiety, major depression, situational depression, and anxiety. Sometimes um, I haven't had any with postpartum depression. I don't know why I, I just don't think it's out there enough that people know about it. And, you know, there's a lot of taboo with taking medications, you know, when you're breastfeeding or you have small kids and you still have to get there. And ketamine's expensive. Like I said, it's not covered by insurance. And um, there, there's a lot of different variables that go into that.
3: Can you tell us about some of your favorite success stories? Well,
2: okay. I, I had a young lady
3: who came in
2: and she was very dark. She would not get out of the bed anymore. Um, She was just very depressed, chronically. And after the second infusion, she came in and, now the the first time she came in, she had all dark clothes. But when she came in for the second treatment, she had on a change of clothes, nice clothes. She was smiling, she was feeling better. She actually was thinking about going back to school. She did a lot of self-harm things. And, you know, when I was sitting and talking to her, I said, so when you say you're feeling better, what do you mean? Tell me about that. She said, well, I'm no longer thinking of hurting myself anymore. And I said, what? And I said, that's huge. She said, it just stopped. She doesn't have those thoughts anymore. And it's amazing. Um, I've had several patients like that, actually where they're not cutting themselves anymore or just thinking about hurting themselves. I had a young lady who was um, in a tragic, um, not a tragic, but a traumatic, um, uh, she was beaten up, I won't go into the details, and she had to have several surgeries and she was having post-traumatic stress from those um, issues and um, those events. And within one dose, her night terrors went away, where she used to think about those things all the time. She even had some post-traumatic stress about some other things. She wasn't having any more um, visions during the day. She said the treatments actually made her figure out what her triggers were so that she could avoid them um, during her life. She hasn't been back for any more boosters. She's She's been doing great. Wow. Yeah.
0: A lot of of success stories, yeah. Do you treat pediatrics?
3: No, only 18 and older. 18 and older. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, you read my mind. I was going to
3: ask the same thing.
0: Do you ever see patients have a poor experience? I mean, I know in our practice, sometimes you get some adverse effects when you give ketamine. Is that just because it's in larger doses? Well, we don't pre-treat. Like
2: in, in regular anesthesia, you might give them a benzodiazepine or a little propofol, especially if you have a failing epidural or it's patchy, you might give some ketamine to kind of get you through that spot. So, you know, you can finish the C-section. But with this, we don't give any of those because um, they actually blunt the effect of the medication um, Mm. as far as the depression. Now in labor and delivery, the ketamine will still work on the pain and um, those sites like that. But it's for this, you, you can't give a benzo with it or anything. So for the most part, I have had a very few patients, I would say maybe just two patients, where during the ketamine infusion, things got to be very intense for them. They actually couldn't explain to me why it was intense, but that it just was very intense. And all I, you know, I just slowed it down. I didn't have to stop it. I didn't even have to reverse it because you can reverse it by giving some benzos, um, Narcan, and I didn't have to do that. Like I said, our place is very nice and soothing and all of that. Ellen, you'll have to come by. Yeah, i to. to. Check it out. Yeah. For the most part, it's not a frightening experience. Like I said, they generally don't have hallucinations. They're more dissociation. So things are changing, but it's not frightening. And I constantly come in and reassure them that you're fine. Everything's okay. I'm right here. You call me, I have a little bell by the on the little nightstand next to their chair. They can hit that. It's usually not an issue at all.
1: Has uh, your experience in the ketamine clinic changed your practice at your other job? So like has, is it like, okay, this is working so well and I see it and then now I'm going to kind of add it into a certain patient population or has it changed like how you use ketamine in your regular practice?
2: I've always used ketamine, you know, since I was a resident as an adjunct for different things. And at the um, endoscopy center where I work, the only way I could say it really has changed it is I've gone up a little bit on the dose if I have like a really heavy patient that I'm I'm using it um, to decrease the propofol. I'm not as leery doing that. And if if I have a patient that I know has PTSD. I'll ask them, how do you wake up? And if they tell me they wake up thrashing around and things like that, I'll add ketamine to the mix. Whereas before, I would do it for other specific reasons. So it really hasn't changed it a whole lot, but just a little bit.
3: Now, do you own the facility? No. So you're the provider. You don't deal with the business dealings? No.
2: As far as the credentialing and all that, I have to, I had, put all that together. <laughs>
0: <That's> oh my. <laughs> a
2: Long time. That is New Jersey is unbelievable as far as all of the rules and regulations and things. And that took a long time. So, no, I'm not a business owner. I, I'm just the provider. And uh, yeah. Are you
3: the only provider there? I'm the only
2: provider there because in New Jersey, you always have to have an ologist present. Whereas if I was in Pennsylvania, I I wouldn't have to necessarily be, be there during the infusions. So it's made it kind of tricky as far as like taking off vacations and things like that. But we've been able to work around it.
0: Yeah,
3: that makes
2: sense.
0: Yeah. Are there any contraindications for a ketamine infusion?
2: Actually, there are. It's contraindicated in patients that are schizophrenic or schizoaffective. They find that those patients' brains are already on the ketamine side of things as far as being overstimulated. So it can make those conditions worse. Oh. Um, so anybody that has where they're hearing voices or seeing things that aren't there and they're psychotic or having psychoses, those are not those are contraindicated for ketamine. I do find that it does not help borderline depression patients um, well that much at all. And if you do the literature, there's some big study they're doing in Europe right now, but it doesn't work for those patients. And it's kind of sad because those patients and even some of the schizophrenic patients have a much higher incidence of suicide, like up to like 50% of the general public.
3: When you say borderline depression, what do you mean?
2: Borderline personality. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, borderline personality.
1: So you mentioned a study in Europe. Where is Europe at with ketamine infusions and treatment for depression? Um, they tend to be like they had Tylen IV Tylenol years before we did. You know, they tend to be a little bit ahead of us sometimes. So are they? Is there new stuff coming out that we might see over here?
2: Not that I know of. Like I said, the NIH and um, Yale, they had the biggest studies here. Now Europe may be more progressive as far as looking at other um, psychoactive drugs like mushrooms and NMDA agonists or blockers, but I, I'm not exactly sure.
3: Got it. So. I wanted to see if you would be open to answering a few of our questions unrelated to ketamine, just kind of things that we ask every guest that comes on um, for fun. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So tell us your favorite, because I know you have three kids and I know they're grown now and I swear, Dr. Jones produces the most genetically perfect children <laughs> that are also extremely smart and accomplished. I can't figure out what's happening in her household. But if you saw a picture, you guys, I ha- we we have to put in the show notes because nobody's going to believe me. But what is your favorite uh, mom hack or life hack right now? Mom hack? I yeah, don't see. I'm like, not a your millennial. That's
1: millennial speak. I don't even know what you're saying. What's your like favorite tip or trick?
3: Yeah. That gets you out the door or anything. Like do you sleep in your outfit to go to work? I guess you could during scrubs.
2: <laughs> they are pajamas. No, well well, what I used to do when, when they were all little in the house and I would have to be in the OR by six thirty, I would I would get up like four in the morning and um I'd do my little exercise and you know, do a little tidying around the house because I knew I wouldn't be able to get to it, Um, make sure everybody had their stuff together, because I would typically have to leave before they were actually awake. So um, as they got older, I did wake them up and run out the door. I I guess another life hack was to always get my way and to get them to do what I needed to do, needed them to do, I would take their cell phones. (laughs) Once they get to the age where they have cell phones, you can You can totally rule them with that.
3: (laughs) That's all they care about, huh? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh.
0: What is your opinion on the age? Like, what's a good age for a child to get their first cell phone? Now that you're looking back.
2: Well, you know, cell phones are, are bad in the sense that the kids become addicted to them. But if they're the only one in the class without a cell phone, then they become ridiculed too, you know what I mean? And kids are, okay, we're gonna meet at so-and-so's house for the birthday party, I'll send you this, and then they'll be left out because they don't have a cell phone. My parents made me wait till college.
0: Wow! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, they, they didn't even have cell phones. I was, yeah, was like Yeah, we had like the little like Nokia
1: ones. Yeah, that's that the one I Yeah, had. where you played <laughs> Snake. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 The antenna. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and during residency, we only had beepers. Those were awful cuz you had to find a phone to call back. Uh-huh. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: we still have those on call. I hate that sound. I hate them. Can you tell us what you're binge watching, binge reading, binge listening to right now, Netflix or podcasts or books? What are you really enjoying this holiday season?
2: My husband and I have been watching um, The Godfather of Harlem, which is very, very uh, Uh. (laughs) violent. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's mostly him, but it's very interesting. The acting is very good. I just read a book by Trevor Noah. He's a comedian that has his own talk show and he's from south africa and um his book is very interesting it's it's a very interesting book i read it in like a week which is really good for me because usually i fall asleep by the time i get to that point (laughs) what's the name of that um trevor noah it's called i was born a crime oh so um now he's he's a south african kid his mom is south african his father is uh i want to say he's dutch or german something like that but it was a crime for them to to even have him and so they couldn't be together and the whole book is just very interesting i I didn't know a lot of things about africa until i read that book which was was fascinating actually yeah
3: great awesome Lacey.
2: you want to wrap us
3: up
1: yeah, I was just about to say, how can our listeners, if they want to know more about ketamine or more about your clinic specifically, how can they find
2: you on the internet? They would just go to www.delawarevalleywellnesscenter.com. And we'll put that in the show notes. Okay, great. Delawarevalleywellnesscenter.com. Everything is on there. And as far as you know, mental health crises and, and things that are going on, in the appointment page, there are links to the crisis centers in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. And you can even, like, if you had someone you knew that was having a crisis, you could just Google that, and they, they will help you through those things, you know, as well as if they, the patient, if the person you were with had a um, therapist, you could talk to, that type of thing. And then you have the suicide prevention line, one 800 273 talk and that's on the did, website too i meant to ask how much is a ketamine infusion well each it's not cheap each infusion is 500 bucks and so the series you know if you do the entire series it's about three thousand dollars for everything wow.
1: wow do you see this getting approved by the fda and being covered by insurance at some point you know what the back of my mind i
2: say they cannot do it I mean, it's, it's 70 to 80% effective. Most of these um, antidepressants, they just don't work as well. They're, they're like 30 to 40% effective. And you have a medication here that is that effective. And even though they haven't done all the studies on IV ketamine for depression, they do have all this anecdotal information. They do have the, the small studies, you know, from the research institutions. And, you know, you see these suicides day after day after day. I, I I think they cannot not do it. So something, I feel like they are going to do it eventually, FDA. Yeah,
3: it's almost like, what do they have to lose at this point?
2: I know, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, thank you so
1: much, Dr. Jones, for coming and talking to us today and, uh, You know, I mean, I definitely picked up some tidbits that I can take into my practice with ketamine use. And so, yeah, that's awesome. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to Scrub Caps and Zippy Cups. We are so excited to be coming to you and uh, hopefully you're getting something out of this podcast. Please, please leave us a review, subscribe, share with your friends. We really want to hear from you. What do you want to hear from us on the show? So don't hesitate to reach out, leave us a comment and uh, follow us on Facebook at Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. Run Instagram at Hey Smart Mamas. And where else are we, ladies? I can't even we're remember. We're everywhere. <laughs> we're on Twitter. Oh, at, we're on Twitter too.
0: <laughs> at Hey Smart Mamas.
1: Okay. So thank you, everyone, so much. And uh, we look forward to the next time. Bye. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye.